Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, tis the season, and by which I mean uh, 12 to 18 month period, to where uh, watching TV is really important. I mean, it's <laughs> really a keystone of our cultural development I, as, a, as a people. I like, Justin and I tend to uh, continue this trend of watching a program long after everyone else has already either watched the entire thing or at least a good portion of it and asserted multiple times that it is an excellent show, we just kind of sit back and wait until We're finally- doctors. We want to hear the show's are. wrapping up. We want to hear <laughs> that, that it all worked out okay. Is that something to brag about? I'm a late adopter. I'm a late adopter <laughs> with TV. I want to know how it all shakes out. Shit's Creek didn't pick it up until after the show was over. And, uh, and but then we loved it. But then we loved it. And then there's other other shows uh, like that, like The Crown, like The Crown. We're that's late what to we're the getting. Crown. That's what we're going. So we we are late to The Crown. We're still early. And then it's only because in our defense, in the episodes, in our defense, it looks extremely boring. I mean, in our defense, it looked like a boring show for boring people. No, don't say that. Everybody liked it. Yeah, everybody liked it, but also as an outside observer, it looked extremely boring, didn't it? It's just a, you see the pictures. There's not one where I, Queen Elizabeth is like holding a sword or uh-huh. like, I think you know what I mean. Well, I that I don't know that that would make it more exciting for me, but I think I kind of thought, well, I already watched Downton Abbey, so it's like that. Except you know how it ends. Except in our case. You definitely don't. And that is We germane. don't know anything it about is, the history of the British monarchy. Nothing. It's, y'all, it's bad. I We quiz each other sometimes, like, quick quiz, Sid, how many kids do they have? And Sydney's like, um, well, Charles. And there's a little girl on screen, I guess. I'm like, six, four, five, however many kids. I, we I didn't mean, know we knew. Prince Philip. I didn't know Prince Philip was married to the queen. It well, I knew that. Confusing. You knew that. I didn't know that. She's married. Good for her. The titles make things confusing. I... If you are a listener in the UK, then you knew all this. You think we're idiots. Yes. Uh, and that's just not, I mean, to be fair, in my history courses that I took, n- nobody really focused on the history of the British monarchy. And I've um, just never been smitten with, I don't know. I know. The, well, the royal I've, n- I've never had that thing either. Like, I, I of course, because I am a, a person of a certain age, had a, an infatuation with the princes, William and Harry, when oh, I was younger. So handsome. Um, but I moved past it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But we're watching The Crown, and it sparked our interest in this episode. 
uh, which is about the great smog or fog, but really smog of London. I did not know about this. I think I've heard. I think I've heard the phrase "great fog of London." Although everywhere I looked, it was "great smog of London." Even though they were anyway, I've heard that phrase and just thought it was because it's foggy there. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was a thing. You look outside, you look at the the fog, and think, "Oh, that's great." It's just really foggy. I didn't know that was an event in history. I didn't know there was a specific time. And I also didn't know the medical implications, and I didn't know that it was a big bad thing. I mean, it makes total sense, but I didn't know it until we watched the episode. So I wanted to dig in deeper. Again, you may already know all about this. Although what I've learned from researching it is that this wasn't uh, the topic of tons of books about, like, detailing events until really recent history um, when people started looking to read more about it and learn more about it and went, huh, there's Mm. not a ton written about it. And luckily there were still people alive who had actually lived through those events who could talk about it and be interviewed and they could create a history of it. But it wasn't something that was hugely spoken about necessarily. So in short, in 1952, the worst air pollution event in the history of the UK happened. And the I think one of the weird things to keep in mind during this is that people really didn't panic much. I would say in the episode of The Crown we watched, there was some panicking. Even that sounds like a bit of an exaggeration. Really? Yes. I, I guess in part it was the whole thing. My understanding is that the British people are very good at keeping a stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip. I've heard this. Yes, I've heard this. And perhaps it was that. Perhaps it was that the that World War II was not that long ago at this point, They're and they like, had already whatever. been through a lot. And Takes so, a lot to shake us. Um, in addition, there were a lot of uh, fogs in London. A lot of fogs. A lot of smogs. This was not necessarily a new and lots of frogs. More than you. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably an average number of frogs. A normal amount of frogs. Despite the fact that around, at the time they knew this, around 4,000 people did die from this event. That's a lot of people. And now, but that's what they knew at the time. And later estimates have suggested that it may be closer to 10 to 12,000 deaths that could be attributed to this. Not immediately occurring in that, in this short time period, but that occurred as a result of this event. Okay, what happened? So first of all, it's important to know that a lot of people in London were burning coal at this time. It's the heartbeat of America. As West Virginians, (laughs) we really can't say enough great stuff about this beautiful black rock. You know, if you squeeze it hard enough and long Mm. enough, it turns into a diamond. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say on a side note, uh, my relationship with coal, I, I have lived in West Virginia pretty much all my life. But I did do a science fair project that one, based on the dangers of acid mine drainage to our environment and what a poor job our coal companies were doing in reclaiming this land and how much damage to the environment. Anyway. The only argument ever in our marriage, I'm like, (laughs) I just have a full-throated love of coal. coal. No. Never Um, hurt anybody. But I always feel like this is an important anecdote. If you want to understand my relationship with the rest of the world, it's to continuously bother people <laughs> to create trouble. Um, you heard of raining on people's parades? Sydney does it literally. I literally do it. Uh, gets can- parades canceled. Okay, so no shade. We live in West Virginia, but there was a lot of coal burning happening. And there were a lot of energy plants that were located like in the city 
I mean, like when you burn fossil fuels, I think we all know it creates a lot of smoke and air pollution. I hope everybody knows that. It does, if you didn't know it. Um, there were like diesel-powered buses. I guess there had been like an electric tram kind of system before that, and then that wasn't being used in, in favor of diesel. Um, there were steam locomotives. All this stuff created pollution. So there was already pollution, and that's not unique to London, right? There's pollution everywhere, most major cities, and even in parts of the world where there isn't a major city, like here, the air is not great quality. So this is a, a problem many places. But in London, it was a particular bad problem at this moment in history because it was crowded and there were tons of people burning fossil fuels. Also, because they had actually used a lot of the high-quality coal to uh, pay off war debts from World War II, the coal that was being burned was a particularly, I guess, like bad kind of coal that had high, high sulfur content. Mm. This added to the deadly pollution that was in the air. Now, I've never heard of such a thing as bad coal, but I will take your word for it. I learned <laughs> well, something new every We day. don't have that here in West Virginia. We only have that good stuff. <laughs> um, and the weather had been colder than usual, so everybody was burning more coal than usual because it had been so cold. All this pollution already made for smog, and they would have what they called pea supers, which they said that in the in the episode. It's a real pea super today, I believe. And uh, it was called a pea super because in the air, along with the sulfur dioxide that was filling the air and the carbon dioxide and all the other pollutants, there was like tar, tarry uh, substances from like the automobile pollution, everything in the air. And so it would give like the, the uh, smog a blackish, yellowish kind of appearance. I bet it smelled awful, by the way. Uh, of course. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. All that sulfur? I bet it didn't even smell like pea soup. Um, so they would call it pea soup because that was the way it kind of looked. Like you were walking through pea soup, except you're inhaling it into your lungs. And not drinking it into your body. No. I don't even know if pea soup is good. I've never had it. Me but neither. it's But if this smog is not good for you. This was bad, but on December 5th of 1952, all of this was made way worse by an anticyclone. Did you know I had to do a lot of meteorological it research sounded, for this? It sounds fake. It no, sound, it's real. I assumed it was an old-timey name for a real thing. You know what I mean? Like, no. they didn't come up with the word hurricane yet, so they called it an anticyclone because they're like, oh, I don't know what it is. You know there are cyclones. Uh-huh. There are also anticyclones. That, but cyclones not, I just assumed they'd be not having a cyclone. <laughs> I learned so much. So I read so much about whether cyclones are responsible for, like, warm air from the equatorial regions of the planet making it to the poles. Without cyclones, without this, like— revolving the air patterns in the fronts and the movement of of air that these cause, we would have like really hot temperatures at the equator and like super cold at the poles and that would never change. It's you so get unfair. all these gradients of temperature and changes in temperature. I can't because believe you're of making me learn about another kind of science Anyways. on this show. A cyclone is a low pressure system and it forms when cold and warm bodies of air fronts meet. Okay, and then okay. they start to like wave and then they turn and a cyclone turns counterclockwise in the nor northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern. And they can really dramatically change weather, pa weather patterns as a cyclone moves through an area, right? Mm -hmm. An anti-cyclone is the opposite, as you would imagine, anti. Uh, it is a high pressure system. It can form in like the wake of a cyclone after it's moved through an area and it turns the opposite direction 
for each hemisphere. So basically, if a cyclone turns counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere, an anticyclone turns clockwise and Got vice it. versa for the Got southern it. hemisphere. Um, the winds are slower moving. In the summer, an anticyclone can lead to, like, calm weather, kind of a calm, windless, beautiful summer day, mm -hmm. you can imagine, mm -hmm. could happen in an anticyclone. In the winter, it can be very different, especially if you have an area where it's been colder than usual, and so, like, the ground is colder than usual. Right, um, which we've established is cold. If it, if it is cold enough to reach the dew point, then you can have a fog form. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you've got this layer of cold air and then fog in some cases, which is trapped under kind of a bubble of warm air on top of it. Okay. Okay. Um, and if you add air pollution to this whole, you know, milieu, <laughs> then you get smog. Okay. Because you have cold air, fog, and now smog trapped in an area underneath all this warm air on top. And it is kind of just sitting there. And especially in the center of the anticyclone, it's really stagnant. It just, no breeze, no wind, just sits there, doesn't move. And because anticyclones move so slowly in general, they can just post up somewhere mm -hmm. for a matter of days. And keep the air gross, basically. Yes. Um, an anticyclone sits over Los Angeles frequently. Ah, then they've had a lot of air quality issues. Smog issues as well. Yes. So I think that you can you can see if you are familiar with LA, this is the same thing that is happening in London at this point. And an anticyclone visits London pretty much every year. Like this is not a rare occurrence that an anticyclone would settle in over the city. That happens. That's just a weather pattern. That's not weird. But at this point, when you have all this pollution and all this coal burning and it all gets trapped in London, underneath this anticyclone, that is why you have this this event, which is rare. Okay. The severity of this event is rare. There's usually not much precipitation, by the way. It's usually like the warm, the warm dry air up top prevents that. So it's just this stagnant, not moving air. Um, and it sits there until basically it moves on and the weather gets better, right? So one of these anticyclones plops down on London, December 5th of 1952. And then we get the great smog trapped there. And everyone inside the city, everybody in this anticyclone just has to breathe in the pollution until it shifts, basically, at yeah, that point. Yeah, nothing be done. There's, yeah, I mean, it, it, and they say that, it's funny, in the episode they talk about how, like, you can't, what are you going to do? It's the weather. You can't fix the weather. There were lots of things they could have done <laughs> ahead of time. But once it's there, yeah. I would say, yeah, I mean, you could stop Big creating fans. more pollution. Yeah. Because um, you see people still like burning coal and driving the buses and all this stuff. And that's just more. I mean, you're just adding to it because that, that's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to dissipate. It was so thick, you essentially felt like you couldn't see at all. I mean, like you couldn't see your feet in front of you as you walked. Um, people who talk about the time period talk about how you had to shuffle around. So you didn't like walk into something. Because you couldn't see curbs. You couldn't see fire hydrants. You couldn't see lampposts. You couldn't see people. Jeez. You couldn't see anything um the lights in the city were all incandescent bulbs and those don't penetrate mm. fog or smog so they were not, they didn't have the big fluorescent like fog penetrating lights so like you couldn't see anything it was getting dark super early right they said in the episode that it would get dark at like 2 p.m or something yeah well because it was just i mean you were just trapped in this 
thick. I mean, I can't even imagine. People who, if you look at pictures of the time, and everybody, by the way, I think this is interesting, the way that the city uh, told people to deal with it, other than that a lot of stuff got shut down, um, even like the smog creeped into like in in buildings and stuff. Um, there were like shows that were canceled and things because the theater would be full of smog. Like yeah. it got inside. Now all the rock concerts, like if they had Striper playing or something like <laughs> that, that just made it more awesome. Like that, don't even worry about our old timey fog machines. It's like in bill basically. Sure, you sure. Got a rat except show. Except you're just coughing the whole time. Yeah. Um, people were. I think this is interesting. People God, were told. You know what? Can I take a brief diversion? I was trying to do a poll on a hard rock band, and I came up with Striper, which is basically the only Christian heavy metal band. And someone will thinks that they're roasting me for it in their head. So I want to beat you to the punch and say uh-huh. that's extremely lame. And I'm sorry. Go Striper. Striper rules. <laughs> Uh, I'm not familiar with their work. It's with a Y, so that's probably the confusion. <laughs> so uh, one thing I, I want to say that I think is interesting in comparing this to where we are in the world today. Can I, wait, briefly, can I just show you a picture of Striper? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a look. You may know their it's album. Quite yellow to, and black. To Hell with the Devil. Okay, um, sorry. Anyway, the thing that I think is interesting is that one thing the government did tell you to do to cope with it is wear a mask. And so you'll see pictures, you can find pictures of, of people in London at this time where they're like wearing masks or scarves or bandanas around their face, um, which looks very appropriate now. It seems very, it actually did not work for that. Ah. As much as masks are helpful in our current world event, in this world event, the masks probably weren't doing anything. It was too late. Um, but they didn't have anything else to tell people to do, so they told them to do that. Now, as you can imagine, there were health effects. And I'm going to tell you about the health effects right after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although 
there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're going to talk about pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, He's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that (laughs) Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, (laughs) (laughs) Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things we're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fanti you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. All right, Sid, so I've been promised uh, some discussion of health effects. Okay, so... Not that I haven't loved meteorology. This, like, that's what we come to top ones for, but... Well, I think it's interesting to understand why this happened and and why, like, this is kind of a perfect storm, so to speak. So Um, if you don't, if you do, if you do say It's not really a storm, but you know what I mean. So, okay, the hospitals were definitely strapped by this, right? They had to be. I mean, everybody's inhaling toxic air pollutants constantly. Um, There were definitely people dying. But what's weird is that there wasn't, like I said, there was no panic. Um, in the in the episode we watched, they sort of depicted like a lot of running and screaming. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't a lot of that. I'm sure that there were people who were very upset and scared, especially people who were losing loved ones. But like there wasn't like a central database to keep track of how many people were dying. Right, so like yeah. one hospital didn't necessarily know what another hospital was going through. There weren't um, big headlines about the death toll. There were headlines that there was a smog, but, like, nobody was saying. And also, the hospitals are filling up and people are dying. Um, A lot of people felt like, I mean, it's just the smog. Like, that's what happens. This happens all the time. It's a pea super. It's a really bad one. No big deal. Um, They also kind of felt like this is an act of God. What do we do, you know? I mean, this just happens. Some people felt like this is just the price you pay for living in a city. We live in the busiest city on earth. And sometimes... You're going to breathe a little smog. (laughs) Sometimes you can't see your feet when you're walking because the smog is so thick. And this is just, you know, this is just what happens. But you got Um, the best pizza in the world. (laughs) It's before New York was amended, greatly. 
there's a, it, it's funny, there's also, at the same time, I guess there was also a serial killer in London that was making headlines. Great timing. <laughs> you wonder, though, do, you, do, do they wait until they're like, wait a minute, look outside. I've been wanting to serial kill for so long, and I feel like this is the moment. It's sort of like how I got into woodworking because of the pandemic. I bet that serial killer was like, this is perfect. No one can see anything. It's it's really, I found, as I was researching this, I stumbled across this book that I've ordered. I haven't read yet, but it's called Death in the Air by Kate Winkler Dawson. And it is about the kind of overlapping occurrences of this London smog happening at the same time that, some, that there was a serial killer who was uh, strangling people. So like asphyxiating people people who were also being asphyxiated but no, those added to the total <laughs> I, no no okay. no um uh, and both resulted i'm not going to get into the serial killer storyline but like that also resulted in upheaval of sort of the order and like yeah, outcry half, and spent half the show in meteorological 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 weather science and you can't get into the serial killer storyline come on sid I guess this there was a the, thought that as an offshoot of this, someone was thought to have maybe been falsely accused, although maybe they weren't. I, it's not really clear. And who was actually put to death for this. Yes. And then the other guy confessed later. And so then there was this public outcry about the death penalty as a result. So, I'm like, sure there, there's, there's a, this whole other tangent that you could go off on. I'm all sure of it. I don't a, know. My anyway. favorite murder episode about it. Yes. Check it out. Uh, but all of this stuff was happening. And so there weren't. There weren't a lot of people like demanding that the government do something or like saying like maybe we should get on this air quality thing. Maybe there's a problem with the air quality. The the causes of death were largely as you may imagine respiratory issues, the very young, the very old and those with underlying lung disease were the most at risk. Um a lot of infection in the lungs resulted from like the inflammation from inhaling all this stuff and so people were dying of the at the time they would say like um, they had pneumonia, they had bronchopneumonia, they had um, all these different names that they had for like inflammation and then infection in the lungs. They would say their lungs were filled with pus when they had, they had pneumonia. Um, there were a lot of deaths that followed the days after the smog would eventually dissipate that they tried to blame on like influenza. They were like, well, it's flu season. It's probably just mm. flu. But that was probably, in retrospect, that was likely not the case. That wasn't helping. Um, <laughs> well, there was flu, but that was probably not what this was. One component of the pollution, as I said, was sulfur dioxide. Uh, and you inhale sulfur dioxide like anytime you snuff out a match, right? And a little bit of it is not necessarily dangerous, um, like when you snuff out a match. And you smell it, by the way, long before it, re like the level it needs to be in the air for you to smell it is way, 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 way lower than the level it needs to be to harm you, mm. which is why. Smelling you, it is not necessarily equated with being dangerous. Exactly. Um, but that was one big component because of things like coal being, being burned. And uh, when you inhale sulfur dioxide, it interacts with any kind of moisture. So, all of your mucous membranes, the ones that line your respiratory tract inside your mouth, inside your nose, all that area, it's wet, right? right. There's moisture there. Uh, and that forms sulfurous acid. And this is an irritant. This is not good. You don't want that in your airways. Um, it also, because it's an irritant, will cause your airways to react, to constrict, right? To tighten, to get smaller. In people with asthma, a much smaller amount of this can do this mm, um, okay. uh, with enough of it, even if you don't have any respiratory problems, 
it can cause your airway to constrict. But basically, the worse your lungs already are, the harder this is going to be on you. Exactly. And the more you're exposed to, the more likely you are to essentially asphyxiate eventually. Um, in in enough concentration in a poorly ventilated enclosed area, um, as some people may have been living in or just being outside in this. Uh, it can irritate your skin. It can irritate your eyes. It can cause nausea and vomiting. All of these things were probably happening. Um, the respiratory irritation symptoms will start with like sneezing, sore throat, wheezing, shortness of breath. Your chest will be, feel tight. You'll feel like you're suffocating. Um, but eventually they'll go on to, like I said, tightening of the airways like bronchospasm, pneumonitis, which is inflammation of the lungs, fluid accumulating in the lungs like pulmonary edema. Um, and you can get, you know, all of these things can lead to obviously you dying of these acute lung conditions and all this inflammation in your lung leaves you open for infection, which you could at the time have also very easily have died from um, when we were just starting to introduce antibiotics into the world and not regularly use them for these types of things. Long-term exposure to this kind of thing, which you have to imagine was happening even outside of this event, uh, can cause an increased susceptibility to infections. So you're more likely to get future lung problems because you've been breathing this in, chronic bronchitis. Um, you can lose your sense of smell. Yeah. yeah. So how do you even know this? Good thing it's pea soup colored. And so of course, got that. all this stuff would have been worse for children, um, especially not maybe not in the acute sense, but if you're talking about long-term outside of just this one meteorological air pollution ecological event, kids were breathing this stuff in all the time. Yeah. Um, not just in London, but anywhere where they were burning a lot of fossil fuels in closely, in like densely populated areas. Um, what's interesting is, so the the smog would lift, right, on the 9th, I believe. But even after it lifted and the weather cleared and people could see and they went back to their lives, there still wasn't a big outcry there still wasn't a big panic. Um, it would be seven months for the government to actually do an official inquiry into the event to wow. see, like, did we do something that maybe caused this? Or maybe was there something we could have done that would have prevented it? And it was finally then, that wasn't really a panic, but it was the realization of reports that would come out in 1953 and, the you know, in the years to follow about air quality and the dangers of burning fossil fuels and and things like the great smog um all of that would lead to essentially the first clean air act um anywhere was passed in in the UK in 1956 mm. and it was indirectly directly i mean as a result of this one terrible event of air pollution. I imagine once you have clean air sort of taken away from you that forcefully, you become a lot more cognizant of the importance of of safeguarding it. Well, I think, but I think it took a while for it to seep into the understanding of like the lay public because so many were under the impression that this is just what weather is. Mm. Sometimes weather is toxic and it's not something that we can really control because the alternative is what do we just all not heat our homes? Like, you just be cold. We can't do that. Like, that's dangerous. And so I guess this is the price we pay. Um, what should be shocking, but I would guess perhaps isn't shocking, is that they knew this was going to happen. There were leaders in government who saw this coming 
from miles away because they understood the dangers. Yeah. I mean, we, we understood the dangers of burning fossil fuels and the substances that were being created in the air and air pollution and breathing that in both chronically and in the acute incident. We understood that already, even at this point in history. Maybe we didn't know the extent of it, and certainly a lot of people outside the scientific community didn't understand the implications very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely at least one thing that should have alarmed them, which was something very similar that happened in Donora, Pennsylvania, in the United States in 1948. So Just a few years before. Yes. So just a few years before this, there's a small farming town. It's 30 miles south of Pittsburgh, and it— really grew when at first Carnegie Steel built a plant there in 1902. The railroad moved in. There was a zinc works there in 1915. And it it should be noted that very shortly after all of these big companies, all these big industries moved into the area and started doing their work and creating air pollution, that people in the area started complaining (laughs) about the air pollution. Um, That didn't take very long for uh, them to start filing complaints and for the industries involved to start paying fines for air pollution. Because, right, that's how it's often dealt with. Well, if you pollute this much, you've got to pay a fine. Mm -hmm. And so they pollute that much and pay a fine and then keep on polluting because the industries are incredibly lucrative so they can afford the fines, which is what was happening. And so they continued to do the, you know, release all these pollutants into the air until finally October of 1948, when just like we've described happened with the Great Smog of London, a, a great smog largely containing the, um, the kinds of materials that were being put into the air from the steel factory and from the zinc plant specifically, uh, descended on the town. Um, people got very sick. Uh, initially, 20 people died um, in the acute event, uh, which, again, was just a few days in this one year in October. Um, but they found that after it was all over and they sent in investigators to look at the extent of the problem um, to really pay attention to it finally, since they'd been crying out for help for a while, they found that uh, 5,000 of the 14,000 locals had had some kind of symptoms, ranging from moderate to severe. And when they... Um, looked at their lungs. They took x-rays of their lungs. They said they looked like survivors of poison gas warfare Um, because they were inhaling, you know, heavy metals and and all kinds of particulate and and air pollution and everything um, from a very similar event. And so this was known and documented and written about on a federal level. And I'm certain that there were scientists uh, in the UK who were aware of this, um, when this was happening. And I think there was a push within, as far as I can tell, within government to address it prior to the Great Smog of London and then immediately after. It just took a while for everybody to get on board. Yeah, a lot of moving pieces. Um, And to to own the culpability that the government had in this. It's it's very easy to to try to do it, especially when it's something that big. I feel like we have a tendency as a species to say like, I don't know, it's weather. What are we going to do? You know, it's just price of doing business. And it's and it's a tough thing too, um, just to say like it continues to be a big problem. Not like this, obviously. These events that occurred, there was another great smog that would occur in London in the early '60s. I believe it was '62, '61 or '62. And the last one of these events did occur, um, but it was not to this extent. It was not as severe. Um, and since then, we haven't had these kinds of 
like isolated ecological disasters identical to this. Obviously, we've had many other oh, <laughs> isolated yeah. ecological yeah, yeah. No disasters, um, but not exactly like this since then because they, they did start to do things. Uh, the Clean Air Act in London really, or in the UK, really did revolutionize the way that they, you know, heated people's homes and and tried to control air quality. Um, and there have been a lot of strides made since then. Now, I think we all know not enough has been done. And a lot of these big companies, um, these big industries are still immune from a lot of regulation because they have money, money and lobbying that, power right? and they can pay the fines. Um, and the I think the other thing that's really interesting, the last little wrinkle to all this that's really interesting is that in Denora, what they found too is that as much as the people who lived there were furious that their air had become so low quality and that they were all suffering because of it and that people died acutely and that who knows how many more died later as a result of this, they were also employed by these industries. You know, when, when, a, when a steel plant moves into a town – jobs yeah. uh, for people who maybe didn't have one before, good paying jobs. And so you had people who at the same time wanted the federal government to do something about these industries were actually, and this is literally, chasing federal investigators out of the town with guns to prevent them from figuring out what happened because mm -hmm. they didn't want the plant shut down. Yeah. Um, so I mean, if you it's live in a, West Virginia. It's a story you've you've seen repeated many times over. Where outside powers come in, strip the natural resources, put the people to work, and people are so desperate for work that they'll pretty much accept anything, no matter how their home is being sort of destroyed in the process. It, it's it's very much it, it is exactly like here, and it's it's interesting when you think about the relationship we have with coal in West Virginia because. Not only do, does the industry employ people, but they're also good paying jobs with with benefits and things that are really hard to come by in economically distressed areas. So it's it's this idea with industry that if you pay people enough, you can subject them to these harmful, dangerous work and living environments because it harms the whole community. Um and I don't think – I mean, I think it is not a stretch to say we have certainly not solved this problem yet um, because we're still burning fossil fuels and we're still polluting the air. Not maybe in this way and maybe we've learned a lot and we've taken a lot of measures to improve things. But I think we all know there's still a lot more work to be done before this becomes commonplace. Yeah. That you just accept that the price you pay for living maybe not in London but on planet Earth is that you inhale – deadly pollutants into your lungs on a regular basis. Well, on that cheery <laughs> note, we're going to wrap up this episode of Sawbones. I'm, Another fun one in the books from Miss Positivity herself. I'm or, sorry. Sorry, well, sorry I'm excuse hoping, me, Dr. Positivity, Sydney Sprawl McElroy. Always I'm hoping the crown gets lighter after this, does it? <laughs> it would almost have to. What happens next? I don't know, and I'm afraid to read any history because I'll ruin the show for myself. I, I just hope <laughs> Queen Elizabeth lives. Uh, thanks so much well, for listening to our <laughs> podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself as much as you could. We have a book. If you want more of the feeling that you're experiencing right now, head on over to the bookstore of your choice and pick up the Sawbones paperback. It's got new stuff de dealing with like quarantine and things like that and uh, some new illustrations from Sydney Sibling Taylor. 
and uh, we're super duper proud of it. Also, if you want to learn how to podcast or or know someone who does, uh, my brothers and I just released a, with with contributions from Sydney. And I wrote some too. She wrote some too. It's called Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. It just came out uh, last Tuesday. If you want to grab it, uh, we would sure appreciate it because. Uh, we're really proud of it. We worked on it for a long time and, and think it's got a lot of good stuff in there. I sure hope, you know, Matt Smith is playing Prince Philip, and I sure hope he doesn't turn out to do anything questionable or problematic because, boy, I sure love Matt Smith, and yeah. I would hate to see that played out. Listen, I'm going to say it right here <laughs> on this show. We love that Prince Philip and everything he's ever done No, don't said. say that. No, bet, That's not true. Hon, we've watched four episodes now. I'm sure this Lovable rap scallion will never have I, a listen. Her. I've maybe Wikipedia'd some things. That's not That's the case. That's cheating. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for this all medicines as the intro and outro of our program. But thanks to you for listening. And that's going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, we've got the one and only Ted Danson. We'll talk about his new show, Mr. Mayor, about cheers, and about the secret to success in comedy. I mean, I, I feel like one of your signature comedic moves at this point uh, in your career is gazing. Uh, you do a lot of interesting <laughs> gazing. <laughs> I also love this. Gazing. <laughs> I love that. And if I'm not, I'm going to start because that's great. That's Bullseye. Find it on MaximumFun.org and PR.org and wherever you get podcasts.